Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. Praise the Lord. It's chilly here this morning, but I think it's like a balmy 28 degrees or something like that. And I know that's not much compared to what's in the Midwest and up north in Wisconsin. We're well below zero this morning. Some churches had to cancel because of the cold. We're in a window here, so we thought we'd take advantage of it. It's going to be snow coming in tonight and then a break and then some more snow on Wednesday. And it looks like we're going to get anywhere from, I don't know, eight or nine inches. Yeah, that's a lot here. Everybody on Facebook up north is laughing at us, but that's a lot here. <laughs> that's a street closer here, hallelujah. <laughs> but we're going to make it through, amen, just like we do every other storm, every other cold snap. Hallelujah. Well, I want to share with you this morning uh, the basic fundamentals of prayer. Now, before you deep sheep quit on me, uh, I'm sure I'm going to teach something this morning that maybe you don't even know. And if you do know, then just consider it review. Amen? So anyway, I'd like to stress the importance of meeting together first. I really feel led to spend a little time on this because uh, I want to stress the importance of us meeting together in person, face-to-face as a church. Amen? Paul tells us in Hebrews 10.25, he says to not forsake or neglect to assemble together as believers, as is the habit of some people, but admonishing, warning, urging, and encouraging one another and all the more faithfully as you see the day approaching. Well, how many knows the day is approaching? And we can see it. And uh, I don't think Paul was talking about Facebook Live or YouTube or uh, Twitter or any of the other media platforms, and that includes TBN, CBN, and anything else you can find on television. I think, uh, you know, I thank God for these outlets and uh, because they do get the gospel into people's homes, and a lot of people get saved and born again from something coming through their television, through their mobile device, so I'm not denying that at all, but uh, it's especially good for shut-ins who physically can't make it to church, so I appreciate Facebook Live, and I appreciate all these other media platforms that uh, let us come into your home to preach the gospel. But uh, I believe that we should be physically here, in person, face-to-face, if we are able to. And I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning, but we're going out over the airwaves, too. And you might know somebody needs to hear this this morning. You can let them know. But these media outlets were never meant to be a substitute for us meeting in person like this. And I guess what I'm saying is this. If you are physically able, there's no reason why you can't be here. Then you should be here physically and in in person. And uh, if you're not, you might want to consider doing that in the near future. Now, if you're, you know, a legitimate shut-in, no problem. We don't. We're not putting any pressure on you, 
If you physically can't be here, then we're glad we can come into your house this morning. But I'm sure that this was God's intention when he, he inspired Paul to write it, because I know Paul didn't know anything about Facebook Live or Twitter or YouTube or any of them other places, but he said that we should admonish, warn, urge, and encourage one another, and all the more faithfully as we see the day approaching. And I personally believe that that requires face-to-face, in-person contact. You know, it's one thing to talk to somebody uh, or text them or something like that, but unless you can actually see and feel the emotion in what's being said, you don't get the whole picture. Amen? And uh, we, we communicate that way, and, and we uh, tell each other how we're feeling about the subject we're talking about through body language and through uh, the way our voice inflects up or down, or we can tell of the sincerity and stuff. And you can't always tell that over the airways or in a uh, tweet or a twit or whatever else they call it. But uh, I believe we need to be face to face. Amen. And I'm sure it's because the Lord wants us to be fed properly, like you said, and built up and have our strength built up because trials do come. And he wants us prepared for him. And that's what we're preparing here this morning is for your next trial, your next test, your next battle. And he wants you well equipped. He wants you informed. He wants you to receive the wisdom and the knowledge you need, maybe even a prophetic word that's going to help you through it. And you don't always get that over the airways or you don't always get that through a tweet or something like that. You need to hear it in person. And you need to hear it from your pastor. Amen. Amen. I'm not just talking to our people. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but like I said, uh, somebody that needs to hear this, they might hear it today on Facebook, you know. But uh, I know for a fact some people just got used to staying home. Uh, Not just our people, but people all over the United States, the world, they got used to online services, and they had no intention of coming back. And although it hasn't affected us that much, I know uh, churches that literally had to close over it. Amen. Because, you know, uh, the church is supported through tithes and offerings. Some people uh, are watching online and they're not contributing to the support of the church. And in a smaller church, that really hurts the the budget and everything. And some had to physically close. So uh, also there's a corporate anointing in a local church that you're not going to get through a mobile device or over the television. Uh, I mean, you might get some goosebumps here and there on television and that, but the anointing is not the same. And uh, I know Paul didn't know about the technology when he wrote this. He didn't think we'd have to probably deal with this, but God did. And he had Paul write it anyway. Amen? So God wants us to be overcomers, and that won't happen if you miss a lot of church. Amen? Because, you know, you miss a lot of church, and it causes you to get weak. And when you get weak, you fall behind. And guess who the, the wolf gets? The stragglers, the ones that fell behind, the ones that are no longer with the pack. Because there's strength in numbers. Amen? And so it's important that we be here because if you continue missing church, even though you're getting a word on Facebook or something, you're going to eventually get weaker and weaker and weaker. Amen? And so I guess what I'm saying is don't let these media outlets become a substitute for what God says that we must do, and that is to assemble together. Even more as you see the day approaching. And 
uh, it's to, to uh, encourage us and to fellowship and to lift one another up and to share stories and things like that. That uh, although you could probably do it on Facebook, uh, you probably won't. Amen. If you're here talking with your brothers and sisters and fellowshipping and communing, then there's more of a chance that you will share something that they need to hear and they'll share something that you need to hear. So we need to be here. Amen. And I just felt like I say that before we started our lesson this morning on prayer. And again, I know you deep sheep are thinking, I already know how to pray and you probably do. But how effective has your, has your prayers been lately? How many prayers have you got answered lately? And so I'm just going to give you a few pointers this morning. And I, I, I'm by no means the prayer king of Louisville, Kentucky or anything else. But I know how to get through to God. And it's not as complicated as a lot of us think that it is. Amen? Pastor Rhett and I pray together all the time. Uh, especially here lately, we... You know, we get texts and phone calls, somebody needs prayer, and we just literally stop what we're doing and we start praying for somebody. And as thoroughly as I think I'm praying, Pastor Ed always picks up on things that I miss. And so we tag team and we go back and forth like that. Amen? But I tell you, when we're done, we know that we touch the horns of the altar. Hallelujah. So, I, I, you know, I'm not going to take anything for granted as... Uh, as far as assuming that you know more about prayer than you do or any other subject, you know. If I feel led to teach it, I'm just going to teach it. If you already know it, then it's just review. It's a refresher for you. But I know that somebody's going to learn something new this morning. Amen? Amen? So let's start in James, the fifth chapter, James chapter 5, and we'll start learning something about prayer. I'm talking about biblical prayer. James in chapter 5 and verse 13, he asks this question. Is any among you afflicted, ill-treated, suffering evil? And then he says this, let him pray. Let her pray. He said, is any Mary, M-E-R-R-Y? Let him sing psalms. Let her sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Diseased, impotent, feeble, weak. In other words, unable to pray for yourself. And I'm telling you, you can get in a position where you can't pray for yourself. And like Pastor Ed always said, we tag out. Amen? Like a tag team in a wrestling match. You tag somebody. And here it says, let him call for the elders of the church and let them anoint their heads with oil in the name of the Lord. He says, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. What kind of prayer? Prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, even they shall be forgiven him. We've prayed this prayer over people on uh, hospital deathbeds before. And I really believe in my heart that whatever their sin was, if they were in sin, even if they weren't born again, I believe they got saved because of that prayer from the elders. And I believe that they were forgiven just like he tells us here. And then he says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. So see, he's praying, she's praying, they're praying, we're praying. And now he says, and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer 
of a righteous man avails much. That word fervent means white hot. It's like a welder's torch, you know, where you, you can't even look at it. It'll damage your eyes. That's the type of fervency he's talking about. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I like what the Amplified says in James 5, 16. He says, the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its workings. That's pretty good, isn't it? Dynamic power is made available through prayer, dynamic in its working. So do you think we could use a little more of God's power in, in our lives, in the church itself? We could always use some more of God's power operating in our lives. And, you know, prayer brings that. And people are drawn into the kingdom of God not by the nice building that we have or the programs that we're running or the uh, workbooks that we have or uh, the, the preachers and the teachers that we have in the church. They're drawn because they sense the power of God is in that church. Uh, they're drawn to you when they sense the power of God is operating in your life. In other words, there's an anointing on you. There's an anointing on the church. And that's what draws people. If they hear that people are getting healed and set free in this church, they will come. And they're not going to be looking to see how nice the building looks or what kind of parking lot we have or anything else. They're going to come here because they want to experience that anointing. They want to experience the power of God. But they're not going to come here until they see it in your life as a member of this church. Let them see some of the anointing on your life, some of the power of God on your life. Let them see how blessed you are. Amen. Let them see how healed you are every time you get sick. Amen. Let them see how you're prospering in in a life where the the economy is saying otherwise. And they'll want to know why. They'll be drawn to that. Amen. And so uh, once they get drawn to you, they'll get drawn to this church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then it goes on to say, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. In other words, Elijah was human like us. He had the same passions, the same feelings, the same problems, the same blessings. He was living life just like we live life. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. What caused the heavens to shut up? Prayer. The effective, uh, fervent prayer of a righteous man that availeth much. So uh, he then prayed again three and a half years later, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit, is what the Bible says. So we have prayer, we have rain, the earth, and the fruit. Prayer, rain, earth, fruit. And rain is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. All throughout the Bible, the Holy Spirit is represented by different things uh, like fire, like rain, like a river, like uh, a mighty rushing stream. I mean, all these things represent are symbolic of the Holy Spirit. But he does the watering, in other words. We're talking spiritually now. He does the watering, and then that brings forth the fruit. And the reason I know he's talking about that is because uh, he goes on to say that God is waiting for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience 
for it. What's the fruit of the earth? You and I, souls. He's, he's waiting for souls to be brought into the kingdom of God. That's the fruit of the earth. And he hath long patience for it. In other words, he's been very patient. Uh, I'm sure he's been wanting to come back for a long time, but he keeps thinking, wait, one more soul, one more piece of fruit. You know, five more people I want to get saved, then ten more people, and one more. He, he just wants to keep getting people saved, but sooner or later he's going to have to come back. And the harvest will be over. And then he says, he has long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. So prayer is what's going to cause the spiritual rain to fall. Not only the early rains, but the latter rains as well. And it's the latter rains that determine how great the harvest is going to be. And that's what he's talking about here, the precious fruit of the earth. He's talking about a harvest. He has long patience for it. He's been waiting a long time. He's willing to wait a little longer. I don't know how long. Nobody knows. But we're to be getting the harvest in. We're to be praying, causing the rain to fall on the earth and causing the fruit to come. Amen. And then in 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4, Paul's talking to Timothy. He says, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. These are different types of prayers. And he says, for kings and for all that are in authority. So he's talking about presidents and vice presidents and Congress people and governors and mayors and police chiefs and fire chiefs. He's talking about anyone that's in authority. And um, I know a lot of people are confused nowadays. Well, you know, we just have to accept what's coming down the pike. The Bible tells us we must pray for our leaders. That's true. But if he has an ungodly agenda, you don't pray for his agendas to be successful. You don't pray for his agendas to be blessed. You pray for his salvation. You pray for wisdom from God. You pray for knowledge from God. Uh, you pray that he's surrounded with godly people. All these types of things. That's how you pray for a leader. But we don't support evil leaders. If he's into something evil, you don't pray for that to be a success. Amen. So we need to be careful. Yes, we need to pray for our presidents and leaders, but we need to be careful what they're, what they're standing behind, and we don't want to support that. Amen? If God doesn't support it, we don't want to support it. Hallelujah. Anyway, he says the reason we're to pray for all men and kings and all that are in authority is so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. And then he says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. What is our praying for the leaders and us having a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty? And uh, he said, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. So apparently people getting saved and coming into the knowledge of the truth has a direct contact or uh, is directly associated with us having peace and godliness and honesty. And that comes through prayer. So we need to pray so we have peace because it's hard to preach the gospel if there's no peace. And, uh, you know, we can see from this passage that prayer is getting people saved and connected. 
And we need to pray and give thanks for all men and for our leaders so we can have that peace we need to preach the gospel. Uh, Pastor Ed and I know ministers in third world countries. Maybe you know some. We know ministers that are actually in communist countries and, and uh, radical Muslim countries. And they're trying their best to preach the gospel, but it's not easy in these countries. It's hard to preach the gospel underground. It's hard to preach the gospel and get the word out effectively when you're preaching in a cave, an underground cave or something like that. Or you're preaching in the back room of an abandoned storehouse or something. You can't advertise anything. Everything is done by word of mouth, and it's only done with people that they can trust. Why? No peace. And so without the peace, the gospel isn't getting preached the way that it should. That's why he says to pray for our leaders and those in authority so we can keep the peace, have godliness and honesty in the earth. So we need peace. We need freedom to preach. We, <laughs> we need freedom to assemble ourselves together. Sometimes I giggle. I tell myself a little joke on the inside. <laughs> Sorry, I can't share it with you right now, but sometimes some of the things I say or about to say or stop myself from saying can be pretty comical. And that was one of the moments I had to stop from saying what I really wanted to say. But we need to have freedom to do that, to, to preach and get the gospel out. And without it, we're going to have a hard time getting the gospel out, and then that means less souls are going to be saved, less fruit for the earth. And, you know, Jesus went to the temple one day, and he really got upset because people had turned the temple into a marketplace. They're buying and selling and lying and cheating and conniving. And uh, one of the things that was going on based on the, the history books and some of the commentators is that uh, when you came to the temple, you come from a long ways away. You didn't bring a sacrifice with you because when you got to the temple, they'll sell you one. And, uh, you know, sacrifices have to meet certain requirements. They had to be perfect without blemish and stuff like that. And, and here they're selling cross-eyed animals with club feet and just defects of all kinds and everything. And uh, you'd pay to have it sacrificed, and they wouldn't sacrifice it. They'd recycle it and send it right back around and sell it to somebody else. And this is the kind of stuff that was going on in the temple. It was an insult to God. And so Jesus went in there and seen this actually happening. He knew what was going on. And the Bible says he went in there and cast out all, all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers. In other words, he flipped all the cash registers in the joints. And the seats of them that sold doves, that was another form of sacrifice, and said unto them, it is written, my house, God's house, this brick and mortar building that we're in right now, it shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Yeah. Now, for those of you that have Jesus pictured in your head as this meek, mild-mannered little guy that was always praying and had a little hood on and everything and always talked nice to everybody, he just whipped everybody in the temple and drove them out. He said he made a cord of whip, a whip. He made a whip and physically drove them out of the temple. That is no wimp. Amen. 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 He physically removed all those thieves and connivers and liars and cheaters and, and threw them out of the temple. Overturned their money changers. Now, I don't know if you realize it or not, but 
You mess with somebody's money, you're going to have a fight on your hand. But they left. That's what an anointing will do. Amen. He didn't do that as God. He did it as Jesus, the man. And a man he was. Hallelujah. I know nowadays we get that all mixed up, but he was a man's man. And then uh, he was actually quoting from the prophet Isaiah when he said, It is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Where was it written? In the book of Isaiah, chapter 56 and verse 7. And a house of prayer doesn't mean that everybody in there is on their knees with their hands folded praying. A house of prayer has more significant meaning than that. It means that it should be an environment that fosters an atmosphere that welcomes the presence of God. That's what a house of prayer does. It's more than just praying. It's creating an atmosphere for God to move in, for God to manifest himself in. And Jesus was so upset because going into there, should have been a house of prayer. He didn't feel the presence of God, his father. He didn't even feel the presence of God. Why? Because it had the atmosphere of a big flea market. Amen. I don't know if you've been to the flea market lately, but I never felt the presence of God in the flea market. He could be present there if somebody ushered him in. But normally, no. I, I haven't felt the presence of God at Walmart or Kroger in a long time. Have you? Why? No atmosphere for it. That atmosphere has to be created. That environment has to be created. And prayer is what causes it to happen. Prayer is what brings about the power of God. Isn't that what James said in our opening scripture? So a house of prayer means that it should be an environment, an atmosphere that's charged with the presence of God. And I've been in them atmospheres. I'm sure you have. We've had them right here in this church where the, the atmosphere is like electric. You could just feel the presence of God in the atmosphere. But that environment was created. And we created it. Amen. We ushered in the presence of God. And, and we should be able to feel the presence of God every time we come in this place. It's our job to usher it in. And then it's our job to protect it. And keep this a house of prayer. And, and, you know, I don't, I'm not talking about the kids selling their little candy bars or trinkets or whatever is going on here. That isn't, that doesn't make it a den of thieves, you know. I'm talking about disrespectful people. You know, you're in the house of prayer. And this should be an atmosphere that God can move in, that he can manifest his presence in. And you got Two or three people over in the corner gossiping, another one biting his nails, another one is texting somebody on their phone, another one is chewing gum, and another one is fixing their hair or whatever. That's not an environment that fosters in the presence and the power of God. That's a disrespectful environment that doesn't appreciate the presence of God, and God is not going anywhere where he's not welcome. Amen. He don't have a big ego. I'm not saying he's egotistic or something. He just needs to feel welcome. He needs to feel like you want his presence. He needs to feel like you want him to manifest himself and show his power in his service. That's what a house of prayer is. And in his presence, there'll be healing, deliverances, 
There'll be miracles. There'll be all kinds of things happening. Why? Because of his presence and there's power in his presence. The power of God. It ain't the power of the pastor. It ain't the power of the preaching. It ain't the power of none of that. It's the power of God. It's by his spirit. Amen. So we have to create that welcoming atmosphere in here. That's our job. Uh, it's not Miss Shannon's job. She plays a big part in it, but it's not totally her job to usher in the presence of God. If we don't feel the presence of God, we can't say it's because Miss Shannon didn't sing nice today. It's because you didn't do your part. So, you know, he's not going to manifest himself if he doesn't feel welcome. And we create that atmosphere through prayer and praise and worship. That's why Gwen here, Miss Laura, somebody prays before the service. And then that's why we have praise and worship before the service starts. We have to get everybody to throw off that cloak of heaviness and that cloak of depression and all the problems they brought to church with them. And, and we got to pump them up and lift them up and get them out of the gutter so that they can usher in the presence of God. When you should bring the presence of God with you. But this is the atmosphere that he'll manifest himself in. And prayer affects that more than anything else. Yeah. Earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer. Yes. So let's define what real prayer is. Real prayer is actually communion with God. Amen. Communion with God. It's not just talking to God. It's talking with God. It's a two-way. It's not monologue. It's dialogue. And, uh, you know, Pastor Ed and I commune with each other every day, especially in the last six, seven weeks since we've been sick uh, and quarantined. We did a lot of communicating. She didn't do all the talking. I didn't do all the talking. We talked with each other, not to each other. And, and uh, you know, communion means that someone's talking and someone is listening. Amen. And there's fellowship and sharing involved in face-to-face -face communication that you're not going to get on a mobile device. You're not going to get texting and stuff because uh, she's aware of my presence in the room and I'm aware of her presence. And this is the kind of communication that God wants. This is the kind of communion that God wants. He wants you to realize that he is present when you're talking. And he's also not only listening, but he is also answering you. It's two-way communication. And uh, if I was talking to her, then I'd be doing all the talking. There'd be no sharing. There'd be no fellowship. There'd be no communion. It'd just be me talking. And, and, and uh, it makes a big difference when, it's, when we're talking with each other instead of to each other. So we should talk with God. We should share with him. We should ask him things. And there should be a whole lot of listening on our part. And people say that God never speaks to me, but God is always speaking. Are we listening? God speaks through his word. You open the Bible and read it. God's speaking to you. Are you listening? He speaks through his spirit. He speaks to our spirit. He speaks through your pastors. He speaks through your wife. He speaks through your husband. God, he'll speak through a friend. 
He'll speak through anybody that you trust and will listen to. God will get his word to you. But are you listening? If you're not listening for it, you won't hear it. Here's a good rule to follow. Pastor Keith Moore said this one time. I don't know if it was original with him or he quoted it from somebody else. might have been Brother Hagin, but he said, The one who knows the most should do the most talking. Agree? The one who knows the least and needs to learn the most should do what? The most listening. And maybe we should be aware of that when we're praying. If you're doing all the talking, God's not the one who knows more than you then. You think you know more than God. So you got to talk and you got to listen. But Keith Moore said that'll be effective uh, not only in your personal life, but also in the kingdom of God. That'll work in the kingdom of God. And, and one of the keys to effective prayer is having a great awareness of who you're talking to. And what his position is. And, uh, you know, we talk to God face to face as a friend, but he's not your bud. Because when he becomes your bud, there's, there, you're lacking in reverence and respect and honor. But that's why when Jesus began teaching us on prayer and he gave us the model for prayer, first thing he says is, Our Father, which art in heaven. So he's setting us up for prayer. He said, this is a model for prayer. In other words, think about who you're talking to and what his position is. He is God, but he is your father, God. And he is in a high and lofty position way above you. That's how we approach prayer. That's how we start prayer, Jesus said. And so, in other words, he says, be aware of who you're talking with. And what his position is. And, you know, God gave us rules in the Bible for parenthood, you know, for fathers, for mothers. And uh, he's saying one of the things that children should do is honor their father and mother. Well, God is a father. He's introducing himself here as our heavenly father. He wasn't a father in the Old Testament. He was God. He was a judge. He was uh, executioner. He was everything but father. And now Jesus introduces him as father. He makes it personal now. And so all the rules that apply to fathers down here apply to him up in heaven. If we're to honor our earthly fathers and mothers, what should we do with him? We should honor him. Amen? He's, he's the father of fathers. So you're talking to God the Father, and he's way above you. And, you know, prayer is not... A lot of beating around the bush either. People beat around the bush sometimes when they pray when they pray because they're afraid to say what they really mean. God already knows what you mean. <laughs> he already knows what's in your heart before you speak it out of your mouth. And so we beat around the bush and come around it until we get to the place where uh, we'll shoot them a little thing and say, oh, here's what I really want, you know. Don't beat around the bush. You know, people talk for 10 minutes and they say something that could have been said in 10 seconds. So don't, don't be that way with God. Be honest with him. Be real with him. Say what needs to be said. And, and, you know, God gave us an example of real prayer in the book of Genesis. People don't realize this, but uh, when God created the earth and made Adam and Eve, 
he would come down from where? His high and lofty position. He didn't have to come down here. He would come down from heaven. He'd walk with them in the cool of the day in the garden. And the Bible says he would commune with them. Not just talk to them, but commune with them. And, and uh, so they're really, they're enjoying one another's company. They're walking together. They're talking together. They're communicating together. And can you imagine the qu questions that Adam was able to ask God and the answers that God was giving him? Things that would never be heard by anybody else. And here he's talking and communing with God. And he's asking God questions. And the Bible I don't know if you realize it or not, but the Bible tells us that Adam was one of the smartest people on earth. He named all the animals. He knew what was going on. He knew everything. Where did he get that knowledge? From God. From communing with God. From talking with God. And, and that's communion. That's real prayer. They were actually praying, if you will, face to face, walking in the garden. And when we pray like that, it will no longer be a chore, but it will be something that we look forward to because we realize we're communing, we're walking with God the Father, the creator of the universe. And he takes time out of his busy day. How many knows it takes a lot to run the universe? And all these Milky Ways and all the galaxies and everything's going on. And I'm sure there's life in other places. We're not the only ones alive on in this universe, and he's running it all, and yet he takes time out of his busy day to come down and commune with us. We got one little job, and maybe we're raising a few kids, and we can't find any time to commune with him. Selah. But, you know, when we pray like that, it will become uh, something that we look forward to. And, uh, Turn to Luke chapter 18. Let's look at an example of what prayer should and shouldn't be. In Luke chapter 18, verse 10, it says, Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one was a Pharisee and the other a publican. Now, Pharisee was one of the most... Uh, religious, self-righteous people of that day, and a publican was a tax collector, one of the most despised people of that day, uh, one of the most dishonest people of that day. But anyway, they're two totally contrasting people. And the Bible says the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee. He starts off pretty good. I thank thee. Then it goes downhill from there. That I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Can you hear the pride and the arrogance and the self-righteousness in his prayer? Too many big eyes and not enough little U's in his vocabulary. I, I, I. And he called this prayer, but is that communing with God? No, that's not prayer. Uh, and God didn't think it was either because he said that he prayed thus with himself. He was praying to himself. God wasn't hearing that prayer. And so he's telling 
God, or he thinks he is, how good he is that he fasts and he ties and he does everything right. And God says, he's not talking with me. He's talking to me, telling me how good he is and how bad everyone else is. And I ain't listening. All those things he said that he does and doesn't do are all commendable. But he was just bragging on himself. And religious praying is just putting in our prayer time to make us feel better. It's for us. We're praying to ourselves. Well, I got to get this prayer done. And, you know, I, I should pray every day. I, I got to at least uh, talk to God once a day. And so it becomes a religious obligation. And we just do it out of for religious purposes. We're praying for the sake of praying. And we don't want it to be like that. We want it to be communion, just like it was with Adam and Eve. Now listen to the publican, the sinner, the one who knew he was a sinner. That's what makes a difference. And the publican standing afar off, he didn't even want to get close. He didn't feel worthy enough to get close to the temple. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breath. His breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Be merciful to me. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, rather than the Pharisee. And the Amplified said, I tell you, this man went down to his home justified, forgiven, and made upright and in right standing with God, rather than the other man. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself shall be exalted. So that Pharisee didn't get exalted, did he? He was abased. But this man, he humbled himself, and God exalted him. He justified him. He forgave him. He made him righteous in God's eyes. So can you see the difference? Can you see the humility in the, in the publican? He wouldn't even lift his head. He was sincere. He didn't brag about his good deeds. I'm sure he had something he could have said that he did good. He admitted he was a sinner. And he didn't try to justify himself because that's what the Pharisee was doing, was trying to justify himself. But God is the justifier. If you ain't justified by him, you're not justified. So another thing prayer is not, and I know we do this a lot, prayer is not screaming at the devil. You're just venting, and I understand that there's a place for that. And there's nothing wrong with raising your voice in prayer. But one of the things we do is we ask for God's forgiveness so that we can be justified, we can be forgiven, we can be restored to righteousness and right standing with him. And then what do we do next? We come boldly to the throne of grace so that we can obtain mercy and receive help in our time of need. Well, if you're in the throne room, I can promise you this, the devil's not there with you. So when you're in prayer and you've approached God in the throne room, it's you and him, you're communing. The devil's not there. You don't need to scream at him. Now, there's times when you do need to scream at him. You do need to rebuke him, but not in the throne room. You're either praying or you're rebuking the devil, but you shouldn't do them both at the same time. Amen? And it's okay to raise your voice in prayer. Some people get excited. I get excited. Pastor Rick gets excited. Some of you do. It's okay to raise your voice in prayer. 
long as you stay reverent, because you've got to remember where you're at and who you're praying to, right? You're in the throne room. You're praying to God the Father. Hallelujah. But anyway, this guy, he admitted that he was a sinner. And he prayed from his heart. And James taught us that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Earnest, heartfelt prayer avails much. That's why he was favored. And, uh, you know, like I said, there's a time when we should raise our voice at the devil, but not in the throne room. And prayer, again, is communion with God. We should be aware of God's presence, more aware of God's presence than the devil's presence. And if you're standing in God's presence, the devil isn't there. Don't give him any acknowledgement or attention at all. And, and besides, the Bible says, Submit yourselves, therefore, unto God. Resist the devil, and he shall flee from you, James 4, 7. So I, I'll tell you this. Don't worry about resisting the devil. You can't serve two masters. So if you're submitted to God, he's automatically resisted. So don't concentrate on resisting him and rebuking him and causing him to flee. Concentrate on submitting yourself to God in humility, and the devil is automatically resisted. He can't stay in an atmosphere like that. It's all about the atmosphere that you create in your life, the atmosphere that you walk in. So, you know, uh, there should be joy in the house of prayer. He said, in my presence is fullness of joy. So if, if you don't have joy, you ain't praying right. If you don't have joy, you're not in his presence. Because in his presence is fullness of joy. Overflowing joy. They go hand in hand. There should be overflowing joy in this place, the house of prayer. Why? Because of his presence. And if there's no joy in here, we ain't got his presence in here. Amen. So we should get excited when it's time to pray because to pray because we're, it's like, man, I'm going to my father's house. I'm going to the throne room. I got throne room privileges. Hallelujah. I'm going to talk with my daddy. I'm going to commune with Abba Father. And that should get us excited. Prayer shouldn't be a chore. If you say, ah, oh, it's time to pray. I got to pray. And you get all depressed about it. Don't bother. He's not going to hear you anyway. Amen. Amen. So Jesus instructs us further on prayer. In Matthew 6, 5 through 7, he says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Those men they're being seen by, that's their reward. And I'm not saying that you don't pray publicly. You can pray publicly, but it shouldn't be, the reason shouldn't be because you want to be seen of the public. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain, useless repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. They do a lot. They did a lot of chanting and stuff. And, you know, millions of people pray memorized mechanical like prayers. They keep repeating the same phrases 
They keep repeating the same prayers. And this is what God is talking about. That is vain repetitions. Come to him with something new. Come to him with something legitimate. Don't keep repeating the same phrases uh, because the Lord specifically warned us not to do that. Prayer is not repeating memorized phrases. Now, I'm probably going to date myself with this, but I can remember uh, an episode of the Golden Girls. Most of you people don't even know who the Golden Girls is. That's 30, 40 years ago. We still see reruns nowadays, but they had this episode, and uh, the Golden Girls was a sitcom of these four elderly women uh, that lived together in order to share expenses and make it easier for one another to afford life. And, uh, but anyway, they all went to this awards banquet, and Sophia, who was the mother of, of one of the women, the elderly of the women, she's like 80, 82 years old or something, uh, they all went to this awards banquet, and Sophia shows up with this young immigrant as her date, young, good-looking guy in a tux and everything, couldn't speak English, but he memorized one phrase in English. And he says, I am happy to be here. <laughs> and no matter what question they would ask him, he smiled and said, I am happy to be here. <laughs> that's all he knew. And so uh, that's how it would be if when you prayed, you kept repeating the same thing. There's no communication in that. I mean, they were all looking at him like, I didn't ask him that. Was he talking? I am happy to be here. <laughs> so that's how it is when you're praying and you're just repeating the same thing over and over to God. God asks you a question and you say, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> that's not communion. Amen. <laughs> but memorized phrases are good for daily confessions or to encourage yourself. Amen. We have confessions. We say certain things. But that's for you. That's not for God. That's not communion with God in prayer. Talk with him. Quote scripture. If you want to uh, repeat something, quote scripture. He loves to hear scripture. Look at my kid down there quoting my word. Hallelujah. He likes that. And, and he, he did say in Isaiah, he says, put yourself in remembrance or put me in remembrance. And I would remind me of my word sometimes. Not that he needs to be reminded, but it shows him that you know the word. So Jesus tells us in John 16, 23. And in that day, you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. Now, what day is he talking about? The day when he ascended into heaven, he was no longer with the disciples. When he was walking with them, communing with them, talking with them, they would ask him for things, and he would grant them. But now he's going to heaven on our behalf, and he's interceding for us in heaven. He says, in that day, after I'm going to heaven, don't ask me for anything. Ask my Father, but ask it in my name, and you'll get some results. Now, this is simple and basic, but this is so important because people don't always pray like this. We're not supposed to pray to Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. We talk to Jesus. We can talk to Jesus, but we're not supposed to pray to him. He's very clear. He says, pray to the Father in my name. And so it has to be in Jesus' name because there's legalities 
involved. And, and but basically because of all of our rights and privileges are based upon what he did, not what God did. What Jesus did and all our, our legalities and, and everything that we have is because of the authority that's in his name. And, and that's the only way we can even get an audience with the father. We have to approach him in Jesus name. He don't hear you otherwise. He's got to know that you're under Jesus authority, that you're in Jesus and Jesus is in you. Amen. And so we end our prayers within the name of Jesus. Or we start out with, I come to you in Jesus' name, and Lord, I ask you, and then he'll hear us. Why? Because we followed proper prayer protocol based on what he has told us. So now we've just seen that we pray to the Father and him only in Jesus' name. But let me show you why we have specific instruction on proper prayer protocol. Now, in this passage of Scripture we're about to read, Moses is recounting the time when he received the Ten Commandments up on the mountain. And in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 5 through 10, he says, I, Moses, stood as an intermediary between you and the Lord, for you were afraid of the fire and did not want to approach the mountain. He spoke to me, and I passed his words on to you. That's what an intermediary does. This is what he said. God said, I am the Lord, your God. And Moses is repeating this to Israel. I am the Lord, your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. And then he says, you must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. He says, I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. So what's he saying here? He's saying we pray only to him. We commune only with him. We don't call 1-900 numbers. We don't consult horoscopes or mediums. We don't have our palms read and we don't read tarot cards. And why would we want to inquire of them when we have the spirit of truth living on the inside of us? You're willing to dial a 1-900 number and pay a dollar a minute or a dollar every 15 seconds, whatever it is, to talk to somebody that's reading to you off a script. Telling you generalities when you got the Holy Ghost living in you, the spirit of truth living in you, and you won't ask him nothing. It bothers you to ask him something, but it don't bother you to ask a medium or read a horoscope or read a tarot card. That should bother you. Not talking with your loving heavenly father. Then he says, thou shalt not make thee any graven image 
or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the waters beneath the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, again am a jealous God. Now, I read these commandments slowly and methodically for a reason. I know some of you are not going to like what I'm about to say, but God made it very clear. He said, no graven images and no likeness of anything, nothing. So what's it mean? We do not pray to a picture. That's a likeness. We do not bow to a statue, not even a statue of Jesus. He said, how many? Not any, none. And he was very specific. And yet there are millions of people from all walks of life, all kinds of religions, all kinds of denominations that bow on a daily basis to all kinds of pictures and statues and images, monuments, when he said, how many? None. Not any. So if you pray to a statue or any of the saints, God calls that idolatry. He was specific about it because that's what people were doing. He's not happy with it. He don't like it. They were making an image of a sea creature, a fish. They prayed to the fish gods. They prayed to the sun gods. They prayed to the moon gods. They prayed to a tree. They had images and statues of all kinds. As a matter of fact, Abram, before he became Abraham, he, he, he was in the business of making idols for people. People would go to him and say, look, I want you to make me an idol. I want it to look like a fish. I want it to look like a cow. I want it to look like, and he would, gra- he would engrave in that image. He would form that statue, form that image, and he made a living like that. God said, no. I don't like it. And and, uh, now the reason I say this, I was brought up to believe that it was okay for me to do that. I did it for a long time. I would kneel in front of a statue and light candles. I didn't realize it was wrong, though. I didn't realize God forbid that. So, uh, but as I got older and got into the, the movement and uh, started studying the Bible and learning, I realized there's no scripture to support that. We shouldn't be any, doing anything or agreeing with anything that the scriptures don't support or agree with. We should be agreeing with the word, not somebody's doctrine or not what somebody says is okay to do. And, and so uh, you, you can't find any examples of that in the New Testament. We pray only to God the Father in the name of Jesus. And the Lord was very specific about that. Hang in there one more minute. I'm almost done. Now, I promise you, I didn't share that to offend anybody, especially in our Facebook audience. I don't want to offend anybody. I'm telling you that because I love you enough to tell you that your prayers are not going to be effective if you're praying like that. And, and, but if, if you're praying to anyone else or anything else, your prayers aren't being heard, at least not by God. And if they're not being heard by God, they're certainly not going to be answered by God. Amen. And I know 
This is innocent in most cases, but it opens the doors to things when you keep talking to dearly departed loved ones. Somebody that died and went on to heaven before you, and you're still talking to them, especially if you're praying to them, asking them for answers, asking them for wisdom, asking them to protect you, asking them for anything. God's not pleased with that. And it opens the doors to other things. It leads to other things. Trust me. It just grows from there. We don't want to do that. We don't want to forget our loved ones. We want to hold the dear memories that we have of them. We want to speak of them. My wife and I talk about her mom and her dad and some of the things we did together and stuff. That's great. Those are memories. Those are loving memories. But I will never pray to them, ask them to watch over me or watch my kids or ask them questions. No. That's why we talk to God the Father in the name of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a gracious Heavenly Father, a loving Heavenly Father that we can approach on a daily basis and commune with. Lord, we thank you that you not only listen to us when we pray, but you actually answer us and you talk with us. And we come boldly before your throne of grace now to receive and obtain mercy and receive help in our time of need. And we ask you for healing this morning, healing of everyone that's sick. I don't care if they know me. I don't care if they know this church. I don't care if they're on Facebook or off Facebook. If they're sick, Lord, we send your word to heal them. Jesus said he sent your word and healed them all. And if he's our example, then according to the scriptures, we send your word to heal them all. And we know there's no distance in the spirit. You can reach them wherever, you, wherever they are, Lord. So we ask you to reach out and touch and heal COVID victims and Victims suffering with heart failure and lung failure and kidney failure and pancreas cancer and uh, blood disorders and nerve disorders and muscle disorders and uh, bone disorders, Lord. Whatever they're suffering with, if they're sick and afflicted and some even unable to pray, God, we tag out. We just let them tag us and we pray on their behalf as an elder of the church. And we ask you to move upon them in a mighty way. Touch them, heal them, so they know that they've been touched by Almighty God. And they can't give credit to any doctor, any man, any medication. But all of that's been tried, and they're at a place now where nothing seems to work, and they're getting worse instead of better. God, those are the ones we want you to touch, especially today, Lord. Let them know that you're a God that heals, that you're a loving God. We thank you and we praise you, Lord. We believe that we're going to hear good reports. People are reaching out to you right now in this broadcast and even in this church. They're reaching out to you, Lord. They want that touch. They want to experience the power of God. And so we ask you to manifest your presence to them, Lord. In their room, their bedroom, their living room, their hospital room, Lord, manifest yourself in a mighty way with healing power. Lord, the word says there's healing in your wings. Flap your wings upon them, God, in the name of Jesus. And we thank you and praise you that we'll be hearing good reports from this day forward. People are going to text us, going to Facebook us, and 
messenger us and tell us that they were listening and they got touched. Praise the Lord. So we thank you and praise you for that. Give you all the glory and honor. And we love you for it, Lord. And we ask all these things, how? In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. God bless you. We love you and appreciate you. Facebook family, thanks for joining us. Hit the share button. Tell your friends about us. And we'll see you uh, Wednesday. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you. And remember, Jesus is Lord.